0: You're listening to you're listening you're listening to you're listening to Sex Gets Real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real with With Don Sarah. Sarah. With Don Sarah. Thanks. Bye. So, of course, this is Sex Gets Real, and I am Don Sarah. Oh my God, like literally, where do I start? So, enrollment for the 2017 Explore More Summit is officially open. I have finished editing all of the interviews. And let me tell you, the content in these interviews is profound. The more that Alex and I dig into the content as we work on extracting quotes and creating trailers, um the more that we are finding whole new ways of thinking about relationships and sex and emotions we've had some of the most profound conversations just getting excited about talking more about the things that we've heard in these talks than we've had in a while and it's i am i am really excited for everyone to hear it but i'm also kind of worried that If you attend the summit, which of course is free and online and entirely created by me, and if you really like roll around in these talks and you really take some of these messages to examine some of your own beliefs, it might be foundation shaking. Like there might be some major discomfort in changing how you think about shame in changing how you approach kink, in completely changing the way that you talk about pleasure and what you feel in your body. And I I cannot wait. So it starts on March eighth. And all you have to do is go to explore and it's free each day. Three talks will be released. They'll be available for 24 hours. So you can watch them as many times in that 24 hours as you'd like. And then those talks come down and the next set comes up and we do that for 10 days. There's details, a private Facebook group where we're going to be like super geeking out. And I- I'm like last year was awesome but there is something really special about this year that in fact is actually going to be changing the way that I do advice on this show because I'm changing my ideas of what it means to explore sex and talk about relationships and communication at like such a deep level. So I hope you'll check that out if you like geeking out. Um, but just be prepared. There's some like really awesome, interesting, fascinating stuff. And of course, some really fun stuff like, Sunny Megatron and Ken Melvoinberg talk about fucking people with balloon dildos as part of their clown sex. So, you know, there's a little something for everybody. Also, thank you to everybody who has been supporting me over on Patreon. If you love the show and you want to help me make it even bigger, even better, keep it going, and you want to be involved in the show in a new way, All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash sex gets real, and you can pledge anywhere from a dollar a month, all the way up to, I think like $20 a month. And in fact, the episode that you're about to hear, which is with Mady Fricker and Hunter Riley from Self-Serve Sexuality Resource Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico, we had such an amazing time like digging into some of these topics that our talk ran over an hour and 20 minutes. And so I had to cut a good chunk of our conversation and I am going to be releasing the part that didn't make it into this episode to my Patreon supporters who pledge at $3 or more. So you're going to get like extra content that um, nobody else in the world is going to be able to hear. And my plan is as I have extra content from other episodes to continue to do that, sharing with you some of the stuff that doesn't make it on the air from behind the scenes to just tidbits that were long and and really fascinating. But I try to keep the show around an hour if I can. So please check that out. I would love your support. I love the feedback. I've asked people who they want to hear on the show. People are already weighing in. So that's all over on patreon.com slash sex gets real. And then of course, hotelsbyday.com is sponsoring this episode so generously. And I was just reading this really funny article in Travel and Leisure, and I will link to it for this episode if you want to check it out. But there's this guy whose job it is to travel around the world, and he was talking about the different types of sex that he overhears as a traveler at different hotels, and he was talking about how different hotel chains seem to elicit different kinds of sex. Like W hotels, despite being super boutique, seem to um, be for people who like having sex a little bit earlier in the evening and who like to laugh. And then he was saying that the lustiest hotel chain is consistently Hyatt, when he travels around the world and stays in In Hyatt, he says he tends to hear like the most like absurd, loud, raucous sex. And it just made me so happy. And then I started wondering, like, if you need a super sexy place to have sex during the day, because of course hotels by day is for day stays, what kind of a hotel would you book? And then what kind of sex would you have? Would it be like slow and lovemaking? Would it be animalistic and wild where you're like shaking the bed and practically breaking it? Would it be super kinky with somebody like bent over in front of a window getting spanked? I want to know. So of course, if you're looking for a place for a super hot rendezvous in the middle of a day with a lover or your partner, or you just kind of want a nice place to go like whack off on your own because you need a break from everyone in your life, then check out HotelsByDay.com. They are generously sponsoring this episode and listeners get 5% off with code SGR5OFF for Sex Gets Real. SGR5OFF. All the details are on the website sexgetsreal.com so you can sign up for the summit and (laughs) feel lots of things about lots of topics You can go to patreon.com slash Real. Support the show. I love it. And um, I will also link to this kind of cheeky little article in Travel and Leisure about hotel sex, and maybe that will inspire you to check out Hotels by Day for your own day stay. So let's jump into this episode. Mady and Hunter are um, from Self-Serve Sexuality Resource Center, and you'll hear all about what that offers and why they're so special. They are a feminist-owned sex toy shop. They also do a lot of community outreach and um, education of medical professionals and um, education-based training. So they're sex positive, they're health-based, and they have some amazing things that they do at the shop. So they talk about these really rigorous product testing that they (laughs) they do, including sex toy fatigue, which is a thing. Um, And we talk about um, how difficult it is to fill classes, specifically how um, kind of nationwide, if you talk to any sex toy store, their blowjob classes tend to always fill up, but classes about cunnilingus or having sex with a vulva tend to be very difficult to fill. And so we kind of roll around in some of the masculinity issues that come with uh, sex education and kind of some of the, the problems that sex educators have around filling different types of classes. We talk all about toxic toys and safe toys and... Um, it's a really rich conversation that'll give you a lot of insight into what it's like to work with a sex toy store. And then we talk about a big scandal that happened at the University of New Mexico around Sex Week, which Self Serve helped to create and run a few years ago, and the big, huge backlash that happened, and the resulting kind of um, air around teaching sex to consenting adults, and how completely controversial that continues to be. So I hope you will enjoy this. Of course, if you want to hear, there is a wonderful section that I had to cut all about dressing up like vulvas and penises. And and uh, yeah, it w- it's a really funny chunk and I'm sad that I had to cut it. But of course, Patreon folks, if you're $3 or more, you'll get to hear that part that I cut. So let's jump into this week's episode. Welcome to the show, Mady and Hunter. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you. Thanks. I'm
1: so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Yay.
0: <laughs> okay, so I want to start off by just introducing everybody to um, Self Serve. I know that you call Self Serve a sexuality resource center. So, in addition to being a feminist owned and run, sex store where you can buy toys and lubes and things like that. You also call it a resource center, which I think is so important. So I'd love if you could just share with everybody a little bit about what it is that you do.
1: And
2: Hunter, you're the director of outreach and education. Do you want to, do you want to chat about that? Sure, sure. So beyond, you know, selling sex toys and condoms and lube and date night idea, um, games, stuff like that. We do a lot of education and we have sex educators on staff, you know, at all times um, and these are employees who've gone through extensive, you know, two months plus of training on products, on um, relationship challenges. And basically we just try and be a resource for people to get the sex education that they never got in school. Um, so we do classes and events pretty much every week. Um, we have, you know, we, we, do, we do medical outreach trainings with um, clinical offices, any, anything from physical therapists, occupational therapists, to mental health care providers. Um and so we are also basically what we are trying to do is help train and educate our community so that it's not only us who's providing this sort of sex positive education, it's also, you know, when you go to the, when, when you go to your doctor, they don't shame you for being kinky. It may be inadvertently, mm-hmm. you know. So so we so we do a lot of trainings with medical offices, um with schools, we get hired pretty much every semester to go into UNM, the University of New Mexico and do uh presentations on, you know, what is sex positivity, sex toys, things like that. So we really try to make sure that not only are we providing an incredible product, as in like the products the retail business sells, but we also provide incredible customer service and education to our broader community to make sure that we are doing as much as we possibly can to, like I said, get the sex education that most of us got or didn't get in school because, you know, most people you talk to are really they really feel like it was lacking and didn't actually meet their needs as far as how to have sex that feels good and that you enjoy and also how to figure out what kinds of sex you might want to have or if you even want to have sex at all, you know, Mm -hmm. and helping people figure out their identities um, and their behaviors because most of us didn't get, you know, accurate information. We also didn't get information that was LGBTQ inclusive, We didn't get information that talks about kink or non-monogamy. So most of us are playing catch-up and self-serve is just around to sort of help shorten that learning curve um, so that we can really provide impeccable customer service to customers in the store, but also through our education and outreach in the community.
0: That's something that I think is so wonderful and needed. And also that's really, really overlooked by so many people when they think about like sex and education and relationships is the community aspect of it's it's one thing for each of us to kind of realize hey maybe I don't have the information that I need or maybe the stories I've been fed aren't accurate like maybe they've maybe they aren't for me and so maybe I can start telling myself a different story and like what a revolutionary thing it is on a personal level to start asking those questions but then the importance of also having safety in a community of being able to like see a doctor and have a conversation about your sexual pleasure and having a therapist who understands what it means that you're curious about kink and having a place where you can go to take classes and have these conversations. I think that's something that really gets overlooked a lot of, you know, I think we get so hyper-focused on like individualism Mm -hmm. because sometimes we forget about just like the power of of including all of the aspects of our community also in our sexual conversations.
2: Right. And I think, I think you're absolutely correct that it's sort of a multifaceted complex, um, sort of issue of peeling back different layers of shame. Right. So for some people, mm-hmm. you know, for, for a lot of people, there's just the shame around the idea that we are sexual beings and that is okay. Right. That's one level of shame. Um, there's another level of shame of feeling like you have to ask questions and like you A lot of people are like, oh, well, it's sex. We just know about it. And that always kind of strikes me as funny. I'm like, oh, yeah, how? Like, movies? Because, you know, most people don't just like, you know, softly and gently glide onto the pillow and then, you know, 30 seconds later they're having an orgasm but that's what you see in the movies, right? And I'm like, right. there's no lube. There, nobody used lube in that <laughs> sex scene. What is wrong with this? Like, that's kind of the messages uh-huh. we're getting, you know? So people are like, oh, well, we know it's, it's sex. And I'm like, ah, do we? Are you sure? So there's shame about feeling like you need information, you know, like you need education. So that's another level of shame. And then there's shame of, okay, but then when something comes up, when there's a challenge or a problem that we're dealing with, how do we talk about that with the right person? And then what happens if that person you talk to either inadvertently or knowingly shames your, your lifestyle choices and shames you because mm-hmm. of your identities. So there's so many complex levels of shame that go into sex and sexuality that it it is it is I think really important to have you know, have a place like self serve that is a sex toy shop and we're a retail center and, you know, we are a sex shop, right? People are like, oh but you aren't like the other sex shops. I'm like, True, <laughs> we're not. And we are. Yeah. You know? we 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 offer what you know some some sex shops offer and a lot more as well. And so and so it's it's just meeting people where they're at and and trying to break down some of those layers of shame so that we can actually really help people in meaningful ways and that they can feel seen and heard and accepted just as they are.
1: And I think I think one of the things that's taken us about 10 years to really develop and understand is the product of self-serve is really the experience that people have when they walk in the door. Um and and we we developed like a training system uh called SEEPS, you know? Um so whenever anybody walks in the door, our very first job is to support them. And no matter where they're at, we meet them where we where they're at and we offer them support because almost everybody feels like they lack that. Um, then we educate them. So it could be something as simple as somebody saying, like, I'm interested in anal sex. And so we say, oh, that's great. That's a really exciting thing to be to be interested in. And it's really popular. And I didn't know a lot about that before spending some time at a store like this, you know. So, so how can I help, you know. Um, and then we educate them about the anus and how to have anal sex safely and that they need, you know, relaxation, communication, lubrication, and frontal stimulation, you know. Um, <laughs> and then we empower them. Uh, to make choices that they feel good about whatever that looks like, you know, so if somebody's interested in anal play, it might be, you know, you know, empower them to take things slow to to get to know their body to not be goal oriented or to jump in if that's what they're excited about, or to check out a toy, you know, um, and then we plant seeds about things that they could be interested in in the future, you know, um, and so it might be like further education or another class. Um, and And big picture, like whatever someone walks in the door with, that's where we meet them, is we support, educate, empower, and plant seeds. And so if it's somebody who is transitioning – you know, and they're looking for community, uh, it's connecting them to our local transgender resource center and empowering them to, you know, reach out for community and support and planting the seed that they're not alone, you know? And so in whatever ways people walk in the door, we hope to like sort of seep into them in a positive way, you know, uh, so that their experience there is something that they feel supported in and that they feel like they can find connections and support like in, that they're not alone, you know? And so many folks feel so alone in that. So even if somebody's coming in for like something very practical, like I need a lube, um, we are constantly telling them uh, this is very common. This is something most people, you know, many people experience, and we're here to help around that. So even if somebody's like not coming in for a community resource, they then feel community in their desires.
0: Mm. I love that theme of not alone. I think that's so valuable and important. And, you know, even the most, like, sex-positive, sexually educated folks, I think we all reach places where we feel alone about certain things or we feel that that imposter syndrome coming up or or our body changes. And so we start, you know, feeling different feelings about our body because something new has happened to it. And so the theme of of not alone feels really wonderful. And it also feels rare. You know, I I don't think that there's very many places in the world other than like feminist sex toy shops where you can go in and actually be surrounded by people whose, whose whole job and mission is I'm here with you. And like, how can I support you? And you can have these really wonderful, vulnerable conversations with someone who actually wants to be in that space with you.
1: I think that my slice of life in doing this work is so generous, you know, because I see people all day long being so vulnerable and so brave and so open and and it pushes me to try to be those things every day. It pushes me mm-hmm. to try to like lead with my vulnerability and it's hard. It's real hard. It's a lot easier to tell somebody, oh, I can help you. Um, and in the big joke in the last couple of years at Self-Serve has been, you know, we name the store Self-Serve and... I'm just learning how to finally take care of myself. And so um, it's it's to me really interesting that that is something that both as helpers and helpies, um, we actually have an interconnected circle of support and self-serve brings me that as much as we bring it to other people.
0: What are some of the common themes that you see from people who are coming in who you know, I, I've i noticed that when I'm in sex toy shops and I'm teaching classes or attending classes that there are the people who have clearly been in this space before and or they're clearly comfortable with the products that they want to buy or that they're interested in. And so they, they kind of come into the shop just like, I know this is what I'm shopping for and I know these products and I've had these conversations. And then I've also noticed that there's a different kind of community or a type of individual who comes in and there's like a timidness or a shyness or even some shame maybe. And to me, I'm always so drawn to those people because you can tell that they have so much like curiosity and they want to be able to ask the questions, but it's never been safe for them to ask the questions before. And so finding that voice can feel like you're, you know, going over the edge of a cliff. And I'd love to know, like in the work that you two do, For people who are really coming in and kind of like confronting that that space for the first time, what are some of the themes that you see that people are coming in for asking about?
2: Um, I would say, you know, we get a ton of medical referrals, and oftentimes I find that the folks who come in as being referred by a doctor um, oftentimes are kind of fit into that, you know, that persona of somebody who is maybe feeling a little bit of shame. Or maybe they're just feeling shy or embarrassed. Um, but oftentimes I, I can almost spot them when they walk in just kind of based on their body language, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I mean, you know, I think for a lot of people it's, you know, we, we get a lot of people saying or I get a lot of people saying, you know, I'm, you know, like the, you know, Catholic in recovery sort of thing. Like for some people just, just <laughs> peeling back these messages that they've been told, whether it be through religion or just anything, you know, it doesn't have to be religion just dealing with this idea that, oh, it's, it's okay to, to have sex and it's okay to enjoy sex. And so one of the things that I try to say to everybody who walks in the door for the first time is that um, you know what we believe at self-server, one of our definitions of sex positivity, is that as long as you're being safe and consensual with yourself and with your partners, you can have as much or as little sex as you want. And you can have all kinds of different kinds of sex um, and not feel shame or fear or guilt. Um, And so Mm. just something like that, you know, a little sentence or two can do a lot to just sort of have, you know, help people have an aha moment that they don't have to feel shame just because they're in there, you know, and that they they can feel really excited about sex and that's fine. They can feel, they can feel shame about sex and that's fine too. They can feel like they don't ever want to have sex and that's fine too. And so just as long as you're being safe and consensual and, you know, as Mm -hmm. upfront and honest as you can be that that's, that's a really good place to start. And so, you know, just really meeting people where they're at, that I think helps a lot um, as far as helping those people feel comfortable. Um, and then when we get people, you know, a, a lot of the referrals that we get are for things like dilation. You know, a lot of folks mm-hmm. um, are getting a referral from a doctor because they need to do um, vaginal dilation for myriad reasons, you know, it could be they just haven't received penetration in a long time. It could be they had chemotherapy treatments, um, you know, pelvic floor challenges. There's lots of reasons why people might need dilation, but honestly, mm-hmm. a good lube and a dilator are a are a large, a, a significant portion of the customers that I help who are coming in and kind of like, oh, this is a new experience for me. Um, but I oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, if we can find a good lube for you, I feel good. You know, it's a really good, it's a really good first step.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And when somebody
1: comes into self-serve for the first time, we also sort of midwife that process for them like we know when you first walk into a sex store it's nervous making like I I can I can literally feel in my body what it felt like the very first time I walked into a sex store and it wasn't easy and then even when I was like going to sex stores all over the country and really excited to learn about the the process of sex stores I still was nervous walking into sex stores and kind of felt like this weird thing that like maybe staff was overly invested in what I was looking at or paying attention to or touching. Like if I like looked at harnesses for too long, then they would like think things about me or think I didn't know about something like, and that's, that's one thing I just would love to share with listeners is that is not the experience of working at a sex store every day. Like we, Mm -hmm. our investment is in helping, but like, but like, our judgment doesn't exist around your choices while we're there. Like that's literally, we're like, oh, have fun. We're here all day. You know, we're here <laughs> to help. You know, you go, cool. Good for you. You know, we've even had customers who come in and they're like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm here all the time. And we're like, we're jealous. Like, or, <laughs> we're, you know, we're experiencing compersion for you right now that, that you're in here all the time. We wish we were having as much sex as you were having. Like, good job, you know? Um, <laughs> and that the, the feeling that I always felt walking into a sex store and the feeling of working in a sex store is vastly, vastly different. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I always try to remember that feeling and remember that other people are probably having that when they walk in the door. And so when you first walk into self serve, um, you know, we give you a minute, but then a staffer will, you know, welcomes you and sort of asks if you've been to our store before, asks if we can tell you a few quick things about us, gives you a little tour of the store and what to expect and a little bit about our philosophy. And then asks if you're like on a mission or if you just want some time to look around you know, and that I think gives people permission, um, at every level to like, to like take a deep breath, (laughs) you know, uh, understand that it's okay to sort of absorb what's there. Um, but also gives people uh, a container to hold it in, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think the experience of walking in the self serve and, and having that moment works really well for people. And then when you come back and we say, Oh, have you been here before? Like they kind of know, what to expect, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that tends to, in that sort of first conversation with people, uh, an educator has a minute to sort of check in with folks and figure out like why they're there and how we can help them. And so there's not that like awkward moment where somebody is like, I'm about to ask a question about something that's super scary that I don't know if it's okay for me to ask, you know, because we've already said over and over we're here to help. We're here for you Mm -hmm. and here are all the ways we can help. So that by the time somebody says, well, okay, I need a dilator or, or I want, I'm, I'm interested in buying my first harness or I'm getting a packer or, you know, um, I, I want to tie my partner up. Um, we've already negotiated with them that that's what we're there for. So there's not that awkward feeling of, is this okay? You know?
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of your products. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so way back in the early two thousands, I um was doing those like in home sex toy parties and it was back when like all the toys were still jelly and it was like at my house smelled like a shower curtain because I had, yeah. you know, like five thousands inventory. But mm-hmm. um I remember like there was this excitement in me about trying certain toys, but then there was also like other toys that I just was like, "Oh fuck!" I guess <laughs> I have to try this thing and see what it's like, so I could talk about it. And so, you know, it's kind of like I think a lot of people are like, "Oh, you could just like try all these sex toys," and and you know, there's a certain level of awesomeness about that, but there's also a certain level of like, "Oh, okay, I guess I'll do this thing." <laughs> but I know that you uh, you have a really unique way of reviewing your toys and and deciding what you're going to carry in the shop. And so I'd love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah, like we joke, um, and it is our truth that we have bad sex so you don't have to. Um, and (laughs) and like, and like that is, that is legit. Like, like that feeling, Dawn, that you're talking about, we get, um, we get reviewer fatigue where, you know, our partners are, especially like around the holidays or Valentine's, we'll do a, we'll do a big push for testing and our partners are like, can we just fuck without testing something? And we're like, (laughs) no! No, we have three more butt plugs before next week. Um, And that doesn't come from self-serve. That comes from our coworkers going home. You know, like, like I'm never like, you know, you must review this butt plug. Um, But, but that's something that we take on, you know, we take one for the team. And uh, basically, yeah, yeah, we take a lot for the team. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but basically, you know, um, a lot, a lot of sex toy design is shit. Like like, embarrassingly bad. Like what the fuck were they thinking bad? You know, like by the time um, you invest in something and you bring it home and you're excited about it and you put it on or in your body and then you go, oh God, oh God, oh God, this is terrible. Like that experience is so awful and we don't want people to have that from our store, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and so what we do, is every single product we carry has been tested or reviewed personally by somebody that we know and that usually is somebody who uses toys like that on the regular um, and so not only do we make sure that you know oh this vibrator is unique um, but or, or is good enough to put on the shelves it's when we add something to the shelf it is because it is exceptional and it has really rocked somebody's world and that, you know, if they're like, this is an inexpensive jelly rubber vibrator, um, it, the person who tested it actually uses toys like that on the regular, and that's their favorite thing to use. And they compared it to the other ones on the market, decided it was a good value, decided they really liked it, used it, you know, um, three or four times at least, and, and like kept going back to it, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that by the time something ends up on our shelf, We really feel like it's a good value, um, but we can also share a lot of what we learned in that review process. You know, Um, so the process will be, you know, we will find, we will try to find the very best of what's available on the sex toy market. Um, And the cool thing is. Like compared to the days of past, you know, it's gotten to be a lot easier. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really want to commend the folks at Smitten Kitten and, and, you know, a few other places like early to bed, you know, folks that Mm -hmm. um, sugar, you know, uh, folks that decided a long time ago that they were going to go toxin free, that they were going to say we can sell sex toys in a way that isn't going to harm people. So the very first thing we do is we make sure toys are body safe and we make sure that toys are not full of toxins that will cause people harm. Um, and that jelly rubber smell, that shower curtain smell <laughs> that you smelled in your house. Uh, it's actually the products off, off gassing. It's the yeah. gas itself that is toxic. And, um, and it's an endocrine disruptor, it's not good for your body. Uh, it's called phthalates. Um and they the concentrations in sex toys are some of the highest concentrations of toxins in any product uh that exists in the in the human
2: world, you know? Um And they're illegal and, to use in baby and dog toys. So we yeah. they're outlawed in other industries, but you know, the ones that you're putting inside your body on your delicate mucous membranes, those aren't regulated.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: and it really got me, you know, we were
1: doing the research for, for the store, you know, um, and what really got me too was not only are they endocrine disruptors, they're literally drawn to fats and they outgas more when they heat up. And so if you put it in a human body, you know, a 98.6 degree oven, they're literally going to be drawn to the parts of our bodies that are most tender and Mm -hmm. they're going to hang out in our bodies and not leave. And so, so we decided, um, initially 10 years ago, we were like, well, we'll just, we'll just let people know and they can make their choice. And what was so cool is when we started to let people know, like, this is a really great design, you know, and this was, this was 10 years ago too. Like it was really, it was, there were some designs that were like not available toxin-free that were amazing. Um, And so we're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll carry this one, but we'll, you know, recommend people put a condom on it and let them know that this toy could possibly contain a toxin. And within six months, we pulled them all off the shelf because we learned that when people were actually given a choice Nobody wanted to fuck a toxic sex toy, you know, Mm -hmm. that like that, like, even though even though they were less expensive, even though, you know, you could maybe use a condom on them, even though they were unique designs and shapes um, uh, that that people did not want to buy things that could cause them harm. And we didn't mm-hmm. want to sell things that could cause them harm. And so within six months of opening, we pulled anything that could have phthalates off the shelf, and we haven't had them since, you know? Um, so one, we make sure toys are body safe and that they come from a good company, and we think they're good design. Then we uh, purchase or get demos of the product, and then it goes out for review to us or somebody in the community. And then they fill out like an eight-page survey about <laughs> it you know and and in terms of review fatigue like that that's a whole other process of being like how many ways could i say this butt plug filled my ass in a delicious way you know um but, but we, we ask questions like like, what did you wish you knew about this toy before you touched it? What is the price point that you think this toy should be? Um, you know what, uh, was this toy easy to operate? Did the directions make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, did this help get, Did this toy help you help give you orgasms? Why or why not? And so we end up with a really extensive review of, of every product we test. And then, um, and then I sit down with our store manager about once a month and we go through the reviews and we decide what to carry. And we really only carry the things that are exceptional, that are at a reasonable price point for, for the value that they're giving people and that are, you know, toys that are unique to what we've carried in the past, you know. Um, and I don't I, I think that there are a handful of stores that run on that ethic, um, but I think it's really a handful you know, yeah. um, and that uh, it really helps us feel confident in our toys. And so we, we actually mm-hmm. rename our toys, like by the, by the time something is a self-serve toy, uh, it generally has a name of, of our own too. So our names are sort of charming and sweet and they're our own so that, you know, um, when it's ours, you know, you know that it's earned a self-serve name.
0: That's and awesome. Just- <laughs>
1: Hunter, how about you, like, what do you think about the review process or what, what do you want to like, like
2: share the parts that are, that are silly? Cause yeah. there are, there are many, you know, <laughs> there are many, um, you know, I think, I, I believe this is Ducky Doolittle who said this a little while ago and it was so good that I've, I've, um, lifted it and talked about it, but basically our goal is to make it so that, um, the box of shit you don't fuck is very small. Okay. <laughs> because most of us, I think most people have had this experience where they go into a sex shop. They're excited, they're nervous, they're scared, they're embarrassed. And so they just kind of pick something and they look at it and they're like, that maybe that works. I don't know. It vibrates or maybe it doesn't, you know? So it's kind of this like frantic, you know, dash to get something, go home and try it. Right. And then, and then oftentimes what happens is people don't get to take the time in the store to ask like, is this a good toy for G-spot stimulation? Like I've definitely had people come in and be like, Oh, you know, they told me down the road at, you know, Walmart of sex toys that, this G-spot cream will make my girlfriend squirt. And I'm like, oh, oh. no. <laughs> See, Here's the thing. Like, you know, when you just no. take five minutes and, like, grab something off the shelf and go home and then you fuck it and you're like, huh, that didn't work. Then there's all this shame that starts to happen about, like, well, did it not work because of me? Am I the broken one? Is it my fault? Or, like, shame of, like, I didn't make a good purchase. My partner didn't like it, so now everything's ruined. Right? So if if we can take time in the store and in the review process to make sure that one, we know what products we're carrying and we know why people like them. And Mm -hmm. then two, we create a space where people feel comfortable asking questions and, and if they want to telling us what, what they're looking for and what kind of experience they want, then it helps us have tools in our tool belt to apply or to, to supply them with the very best product. Right. So, so like Ducky Doolittle says, like we don't want to have a big box of shit. We don't fuck. We want that to be a little box, you know? Um, And so just making sure that in the moment we can give people the best possible customer service and information based on what they're looking for so that we can send them home with something that actually works for them. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to send somebody home, you know, if they're looking for a clip vibe, I'm not going to send them home with, you know, um, an enjoy pure wand, which is, you know, a stainless steel dildo. Right. So it's just, knowing our products well enough because they go through the review process to know what to recommend when somebody has questions, when they come in. And that I think is, is something that, you know, and of course you are like, I I would be very surprised if there was somebody who told me I've liked every single sex I've ever bought. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your body is just like, no, that's not it. Or sometimes it works for two years and then you're like, Oh, I'm not into that anymore. Right. So it's not, it's not like every purchase is going to be perfect. And it's not like you're never going to buy something that you don't like very much but the idea is to try and reduce the likelihood of that happening. And I think our review process allows us to do that in a very effective way. And then like the really terrible things that could happen, we take care of that for you. And
1: like reading the reviews of bad toys is, is just one of my favorite parts of my job because, because it's like, it's like, Oh, that ceramic dildo feels like fucking sandpaper. And, and I tried it for one second and I had and I want to wanna, like throw it away and burn it in a fire, but I can't because it's ceramic. So can we, can I break this? You know, <laughs> um, that, that a lot of the understanding of, our review process and and supporting it like even the bad toys gives me better insight into what we should be looking for in good ones mm-hmm. you know like we've been looking we've been looking for a body paint for 10 years and we have not found a single one we like. If if if, uh, if somebody out there has found one they like, please send it our way because because um, they're toxic, they stain your skin, they don't actually use any color, they uh, they they t- they look or taste terrible. Um, like body paint is like this place where people are like, oh, do you have body paints? And I'm like, I've literally tried every one that's available, and and we can't we just can't find one. And if if we can't find one that is good enough for us, we're just not gonna put it on this shelf and so and so it also like shows us the areas where things are terrible in the industry that where Mm -hmm. we're not willing to make money on selling bad shit you know like edible panties um has anybody ever tried a pair of edible panties like
0: yes in fact i sampled it on air a couple of years ago and we were scarred (laughs)
1: yeah And then you're supposed to put that against your genitals and then lick them off and be like, this is a hot night, you know, (laughs) which makes no sense whatsoever. But that's like, you know, so, so sometimes when we don't carry something, having a very clear reason why also helps Mm -hmm. people like not make or like bad investments in their pleasure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When I had my sex toy little party business that I was mm-hmm. doing. It was right when Sex in the City and Charlotte had her rabbit vibrator. Mm-hmm. And so everyone who came to the parties wanted Charlotte's rabbit vibrator. And so I had the, the Pearl Rabbit mm-hmm. and, you know, it was one of the highest priced items that I sold. I mean, it was, it was well over a hundred dollars and that was back in, you know, like 2000. And And I just remember, like, uh, it took me a while to start to figure out, because I got no education through this franchise company. And at first, I was just excited that all these vibrators were just, like, flying out the door. As soon as I said, you know, this is the Charlotte vibrator from Sex and the City, everybody wanted one. And so people just assumed that because Charlotte, on a television show, had locked herself in her bedroom and didn't want a boyfriend, that, like, it would work for them. Mm -hmm. And I remember a couple of months in... I had started talking to people and hearing disappointment mm-hmm. and, and being ashamed of the disappointment of like, well, I mean, it's okay, but, you know, I don't know if I'm going to use it all the time or, you know, it, it, I guess it kind of works for me. And just hearing this like ambivalence when I revisited customers and and that's when it really started occurring to me that... Like we all have such different experiences of our bodies Mm -hmm. and the way we experience pleasure. And so a toy can't be one size fits all. And, and, you know, I, that's why I love that you have this like super extensive review process with like this eight page questionnaire so that you have all this information, because I think it's so easy to just assume that because this toy is popular and it works for my friends, that it's going to work for me. And then that disappointment is just like crushing.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm
1: yeah and that's you know one of the things that happens that is challenging for me in the store is when a group of people comes in and there's and there's a friend that is just like this is what you need this is I know what you need and I'm like you don't fuck the same people you know (laughs) you don't wear the same shoes you don't order the same thing for dinner and that just goes in your mouth you know there's like literally no way that you know what what your friend wants on their clitoris and yet we feel so qualified in, in a helping way to tell people that. You know, and yeah. that's one of the things that we really, really try to do is just let everybody know, like, there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all approach to your sexuality, and you don't have to fuck one sex toy forever. Yeah. Like, the, you don't have to be monogamous with your sex toys. They're not going to be mad. You know, they're not going to like, you know, go to bed angry, right. and, and that you can you can like have as have as much pleasure as you can possibly delight in, and and I think that's what also happens is people get they get very emotionally attached to one sex toy um and and sometimes it's hard because that sex toy will will, they'll stop being in production and we have to like break people's hearts and be like yes that vibrator was popular nine years ago we have we don't carry it anymore and they're just like crushed because we're like emotionally attached to the things that gave us orgasms Mm -hmm. you know and i really like Uh, that Annie Sprinkle talks about that there are thousands of different kinds of orgasms and, and we can have as many different kinds of orgasms as, as we can have, uh, you know, sensations in our body or snowflakes in the sky, like that orgasms are, can be abundant and that we don't have to get stuck in like one way, you know, and sex toys can be a really positive way for people to, uh, to like channel that. Mm -hmm. Um, but they can, but that can also be a real, a place where people get stuck, of like this is the way I come you know yeah. um and and that's that's pretty common too in the store that's like a very very common theme that people have is if I use this won't will I not be able to come any other way mm. um mm. and and that's a really really common question like I probably deal with that question at least once a day if I'm there for an 8 hour shift and um what we tell people is that muscle memory is legit like like that we like if I train to become a sprinter and I show up and to race and somebody shoots the gun, I'm, I'm going to run, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead of using a sex toy to have an orgasm in the exact same way every single time like if i'm tired at the end of the day and i use the original magic wand to come in 2 minutes and then fall asleep i might like <laughs> want i might want to do that with a partner you know mm-hmm. or or mm-hmm. i might i might do that with a partner and then fall asleep and be like oh this has never happened before i'm just so excited to be there but my body has developed muscle memory you know through practice like practice doesn't make perfect practice makes mm-hmm. permanent
0: so mm-hmm.
1: so it's pretty common for people to be like, "Oh, this vibrator did this to me." When really it's like, "No, dude, you got lazy." You know? <laughs> and yeah. I got I got lazy too. I'm not throwing rocks. You know, we 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 get into ruts in our behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um and it's healthy and good to look at that and decide to get out of them but i think the best answer for that is having like an abundance of sex toys and an abundance of options and an abundance of ways to touch my body Mm -hmm. instead of being like well this vibrator broke me you know i'm like no dude you know just use it in a different way blindfold yourself romance yourself get off standing up you know
0: yep yep yeah i love that So I want to talk a little bit about we were geeking out a little bit before we went on air about like classes and teaching and Mm -hmm. and I know that a lot of what you do at self serve includes offering education out to the community including sex classes. And Mady, you posted something really like wonderful and interesting to me that I would love for us to dig into sure. where you were talking about how your blowjob workshops, they regularly fill up and they get filled and that's an easy class for the most part to to fill, which was also true of the sex shop that I was teaching at in DC. Like the blowjob class is just for some reason always like sold out, mm-hmm. but you've been struggling to get attendance into vulva classes, classes around vulvas. And so last night you did a G-spot and a squirting class that was actually like filled and you were so delighted and excited by that. And so one, I just want to congratulate you and celebrate (laughs) that because yay for like vulva (laughs) classes and vulva knowledge. But I'm also just really curious, like from a sociological perspective and kind of like the ways that we in our different genders, move through the world, you know, like what has been your observation around the types of classes that you find are easier to fill and who attends those and the types of classes that you so want to teach, but it's harder to get people into? Like what are, what have been some of your experiences and observations around that as educators?
2: Um, well, since I do most of the class planning and, and the, you know, promotion and basically I, I, uh, uh okay. So <laughs> a couple of years ago, um we sort of figured out that we had to figure something else out because our classes weren't doing as well as we wanted them to, and we also knew people had told us several times you know again and again that they loved the classes and it was one of the favorite things that we did um so I sort of took on the class process of how do we schedule classes, what classes work well um and and there's a few things that we have learned that are that are very interesting and valuable um Basically, you know, people want skills. They want to feel like they have a skill that they can learn in the class and go home that night and feel like they are a different person than they were when they walked in the shop, right? Um, So unfortunately, that means oftentimes that the the theory-based classes don't go as well, that the sort of theoretical discussion-focused classes don't go as well as the, the, I'm getting a practical skill here that I can use in the bedroom when I go home. so, we just one thing that we've you know found very very strongly was that you don't people aren't showing up as much to the to the more theoretical classes, which was hard for us to sort of that was a hard pill to swallow but also probably a good one to swallow in the end because it turned out you know that people really like to feel like they can practice something so our bondage class, for example, that class goes over really really well because people actually get to come in with a partner and some rope and they tie a couple knots right and the the instructor will walk around and help them troubleshoot anything that's you know going on but they actually get to try out what it's like you know in the blowjob class we get we let people practice on dildos um in the lap dance class people actually get to practice lap dances right so um it's basically just trying to find a way that people feel comfortable even walking in in the first place because that's Mm -hmm. another big thing is that a lot of people don't you know they don't want to go to a sex shop to learn about oral sex with a room full of strangers. Um, so we always, we, we, we try really hard to just acknowledge that and congratulate people for being brave because it is a brave thing to do. People also, what we found is that, you know, people really like, um, you know, they, they're, they're feeling uncomfortable when they come in. So we have to make a very concerted effort to make them feel comfortable as soon as we can. Um, you know, so, so that can be just acknowledging that it's okay to feel awkward and it's okay to feel shame Um, you know, it can be acknowledging that you don't have to, you know, you you can participate at whatever level feels right for you. You're never going to be forced to do anything, you know? So I oftentimes get, um, cis men who come to my blowjob class, maybe with their cis female partner. And they're like, I don't want to practice on a dildo. And I'm like, that's okay. You know, no one's going to be here forcing you to put a dildo in your mouth. Um, and the funny thing is that oftentimes they might end up practicing in the end because it's actually, because the way we present the information, you know, they're like, Oh, this actually is interesting. And I've had feedback from cis guys who take the class who are like, I didn't know deep throating was so hard. (laughs) (laughs) It is hard. It's hard work, you know? And, and it really is nice when, when, when your partner understands some of the, some of the challenges that you take on and some of the feats that you accept, you know, to, to do sex with, with a, with a fun friend. Um, so so, you know, letting people be wherever they're at. If they don't want to practice on a dildo, if they don't want to get tied up, that's fine. You know, they don't have to do anything they don't want to. So another thing that we've taken on is doing classes online. Um, so mm-hmm. we offer the blowjob class. You can either rent or buy um, individual segments or the entire class on Vimeo. Um, so it's it's really cool where you can just, you know, go to Vimeo. You search. It's It's an on-demand page, you know, so you can... Mm -hmm. Um, you can search for self-serve or you can search through the on-demand videos and find us and you can actually access the class online. Um, so that's really cool. So you can, you know, have it for rent or for buy. And that, that also allows people who are like, I don't care what any of my friends say, I'm not going to the sex shop to go to the class. You know, they're like, I'm not going to go do it in person. Also, it, it, it makes it more, the, the information more accessible, um, to lots of different people, people who aren't in the state Um, You know, whatever the reason might be that you're not coming into the store to take the class, we we want to recognize that that there's tons of people out there who still want this information. So how can we do our best to make it as accessible as possible? But it is kind of an interesting, you know, look to see what it is that people want to learn about. And what I found, Mm -hmm. since, since I do teach the blowjob class, what I found is, you know, a lot of my blowjob class is is not as much about blowjobs as you might think it would be. You know, a lot of it is about yeah. talking about how to advocate for yourself and how to communicate with a partner, you know. So a big yeah. thing that I talk about in my classes. one of the reasons that people don't feel comfortable giving blowjobs is because they don't feel confident. You know, they feel like they aren't good at it. And so then it's not fun for them, you know. So if you can get to a place where you know what your partner likes and what feels good for them, then you will start to feel more confident and blowjobs will become more fun for you. You know, if you feel Mm -hmm. like what you're doing is good and you're, you're good at it, it's going to be more fun. So how do we get past this idea of, you know, we we have this like loop of non-communication in sex where your partner might be doing something to you and it feels okay, but maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable or maybe they need to move a little bit to the left or maybe they need to grip harder or maybe they need to grip softer, but we don't Mm want to hurt our partner's feelings. So we don't say anything. Right. And then. You're like, okay, well, I guess I'll keep doing this thing that I'm doing, but it doesn't feel good for them, and then it's this loop of non-communication. So a, yeah. a huge component of what I teach in my blowjob class is how to open that loop of communication, so that it, so that your partner feels comfortable giving you feedback, and and they know that you are excited to receive the feedback, so that you can be better and you can feel more confident in what you're doing. You know, so a lot of the blowjob class, honestly, is like a communication class. Um, yeah. But we also get to suck on dildos too so that's fun (laughs) yeah
1: i definitely have nerded out over the years on like how challenging it is to to commodify to sell sexuality and like how do we sell it in a or, or sell education about sexuality or sell you know but but really like like you know if we were like communication for lovers, that happens to have a component, that class would not sell out. Yep. Nope. You know? Um, and so it was, it was really hard in the first few years of the store to feel like we were creating classes that were meeting people where they were at and helping them with what they needed. You know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and what we actually had eventually got to was a model of sneaky feminism um yeah which is which is challenging right like 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 sneakiness around sexuality yeah is that problematic you know but what we realized was was they're not going to come they're not going to come and pay $20 and come sit down and listen to a class about communication but they re- but everybody needs a class about communication so right. uh so if we package it in a way that is a skills-based class that we know people are looking for, that they need help in, that they actively are saying, this is what I want to learn, then it's not bait and switch because we are, we are meeting that need, but Mm -hmm. we're also giving them a little bit, you know, a fiber, you know, with the, with the frosting that like, that like, you know, um, one of the things that Hunter really teaches people is, is if you are not enjoying yourself, other people are not going to enjoy their time with you. So you have yeah. to figure out how to have an authentic experience around your embodied embodiment. And so that's a way to. Sort of take the the model of sexuality, this like performative. I want to give a good blowjob. I'm here for you. I'm here to to be the best cocksucker you've ever had. Um, and says the way that you do that is through embodiment of your own pleasure, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and and owning that in a way. So so we sneak that in, and and along the way, what we've figured out is we have to cosmify the titles of our classes. Yep. Um, that if that if we, if we, you know, say, you know, this, um, like, like I was like, oh, we need to, we need to do a class of like releasing pain through massage, you know, like, like, and I'm like, I want to take that class. Like I have chronic pain. I want to release pain in my body through massage. And like, that'll be great. And, and I sort of talked to, you know, our smarty pants hunter lady who, who was like, yes. And I think we could sell that. Like, what is the class title we ended up with Hunter? on that one. Yeah. It was, but it was
2: like, you know, how to use massage for better sex. Yeah. Right. So something mm-hmm. like that.
1: Yeah. So, so you'll, well, it, it incorporates better sex and massage, but in that class, you will also learn about, about um, releasing pain through uh, and, 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 um, and, it, and connecting through touch in a way that's really powerful. But we had to put it, we say cosmify, like something that would be on the cover of Cosmo that would mm-hmm. make you buy the magazine. Something yeah. that you will see as a class title that will make you sign up for class. And, mm-hmm. and we also realized, um, and we do, I, I think this is very fascinating that across the board at every sex shop that is like us, almost all of them have sold out blowjob classes. Like, yep. what, what does that say? Like, let's, just, let's just name it. Like, what, why, why does that exist? And right. a big part of it, I think, is because, um, maybe a lot of cis, females who are giving blowjobs feel okay asking for directions like like if we like yeah. learn about you know the way to do something we feel successful um mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas the cunnilingus class um One of the things that happens is when people are at the front counter and they're looking at the class titles and, you know, there's a cunnilingus class, you know, there's going down, you know, going down on somebody with a V class, um, the response for a lot of partners, uh, you know, who, who are interested in taking the blowjob class of like, Oh, look, there, there's this other class you could go to. Um, and the response is frequently, do you think I need that? Right.
0: Yes.
1: Yes. Um, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Do you think I need that? And then, and then, and then, who wants to say that to their partner? Yes, you clearly need a class on going down on me because you're so terrible at it. Like, no, that's not the response. Like, that's not you know. And so maybe there are some people in this world who feel like failures when they have when they have to ask for directions. Right? Yep. You know. And maybe there are some people in this world around masculinity that feel yep. like their job is to be the provider of everything including Mm -hmm. pleasure. And then if they, and, and be assertive, but not too assertive and, 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 you know, know how to do everything without asking for any help. Like that's, that's like in the, how to act like a man box, like that's what you're supposed to do. Um, and so we figured out a sneaky way to get them to sign up for the class, um, which is, uh, what we'll do is, uh, we have we have the blowjob class. We actually have two penis classes right now that are skills based, you know, um, and we will put the cunnilingus class in the middle. And the reason for that is partners won't sign up. if Oh, do you think I need that? And people are like, yes, I think you need it. You know, like that, <laughs> that's that's not a fun conversation, you yeah. know, but if a partner is already signed up for the blowjob class, it's only fair if you sign up for the Conolingus class. Mm-hmm. And so people who maybe wouldn't sign up because they think they need it or, or because it's like that, if signing up for a class feels like an admission of failure, you know, that they will show up to a class for an ethic of fairness. It's only fair. My partner went to this class. I'm showing up for my partner, you know? Right. And so that yeah. was, a, that was something that we realized will help with attendance you know? Um, but it, I mean, it also makes sense. There's not a lot of focus on pleasure for people with vulvas, you oh, know, right. even, even the G spot class selling out is fascinating because it's a focus on internal orgasm. Um, mm-hmm. and that's not the way I teach it, you know, like, haha, we don't have to chop up our bodies and they're all connected. And every orgasm is clitoral. If it is genital focused and they're all connected, ha ha ha, sneaky, sneaky. Um, but, But, you know, even that class being the one that sold out versus the cunnilingus class uh, is fascinating, you know, because it's, can we teach people how to have orgasms the right way, you know, and, and, you know, the way that I teach that class really focuses on all the different kinds of orgasms, and that's just one of them. And it can be delightful and here's some tools and techniques that could help. But really big picture. I think some of the people who were there last night were trying to fix their bodies right. because they weren't having internal orgasms. And I hope they left with the note, with the belief that like their bodies are, are perfect just the way they are, you know, and and all bodies are good bodies deserving of love exactly as they are is one of our, is one of my strong themes and, and I hope it helped, but it's, it is fascinating. And I think it is of note. And, and then it says a lot about gender and sexuality and what we're allowed to ask for and where we're supposed to be. And, and, you know, the numbers don't lie, you know? Um, but we've just figured out, you know, some sneaky ways to like connect with people where they're at, instead of saying you should feel like this, mm-hmm. you know, because none of us are in a vacuum. We all live in this world. We're right. all survivors of this culture.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh! I could just like <laughs> geek out about all of this forever. Like I have all these thoughts about like socialization and hypermasculinity, mm-hmm. and just like okay. But I think we only have time for like one more chat. <laughs> and one of the things that I really want to roll around in with you is, um, Hunter. At the beginning, you mentioned that in addition to the medical outreach you do and the classes and events at mm-hmm. Self Serve, you also speak at schools. Uh, and I know that one of the things you've done is you've. Uh, self-serve has gone to UNM and, uh, participated in sex week in the past. And that there's also been some backlash to that from abstinence groups and anti-choice groups. And so I would love to hear a little bit more about your experience of being really sex positive and open on a college campus. And then what it's like when people kind of push back against that and offer some pretty dangerous information.
2: Oh yeah. Gosh. So, um, I, um, you know, back in what 2013, 2014, um, I think this is the third year we've done Sex Week. Um, I approached the Women's Resource Center at UNM and asked if they wanted to do Sex Week. I uh, wanted to co, you know, co-create this event because, you know, Sex Weeks were becoming more and more popular around college campuses, and they were really excited. And we, you know, we were all super excited for this. We're on board. We, you know, we, we specifically wanted to reach out to. um, Greek life and fraternities and, um, specifically also wanted to have conversations with men. Um, so knowing this, um, I sort of was like, oh, okay, well, I think that Reed Mahalko might be a good person because he does a great presentation called the, how to be a gentleman and still get laid. Um, and so we were very specific about what we wanted to do and who we wanted to talk to and what message we wanted to give. Um, so, you know, we, uh, a couple days before the event, we did, um, some, some media interviews. And I think it was a, an interview with, um, one of the local radio stations here. And basically the day before it started, um, the, uh, the, there's a student group on campus called students for life and they're sort of an anti-choice, you know, anti-abortion student group. They basically, you know, got wind of it and, and, um, reacted pretty strongly. You know, there was, there was some almost immediately some sort of backlash media coverage. Um, they, uh, uh, you know, they s- spoke out very publicly about how it was, you know, these titles were so offensive and, and we're just, we're, we're further objectifying women and we're, we're, further promoting sexism by, by, you know, offering workshops that talk about how to have pleasurable sex. Um, Someone at some point vandalized the Women's Resource Center and, um, you know, like spray-painted like baby killers, I I think, on one of their parking signs. Um, Students for Life also, I think, organized, you know, to get, you know, a handful of parents or, you know, people to call the university saying that they are parents um, to complain, you know, and and so, so basically what happened was the university got some complaints from parents and then we also got a lot of media coverage, national media coverage, local media coverage, um... And so then the, the university issued an apology, and that's that's what that's kind of really what I think when it like got it got dirty um, was the, the, the university felt that the need to apologize for offering, you know, adults people over the age of eighteen, comprehensive, medically accurate, pleasure-focused sex education, and and, and the, the whole goal of all of this being to combat sexual assault and sexual violence on campus because, guess what, UNM I mean <laughs> UNM just finished up. A um, an, an investigation by the Department of Justice into the way that we handle sexual assault on UNM campus, right? So it's not like this is just out of nowhere. We specifically asked for, you know, this issue to be addressed because we know that UNM students don't feel safe coming forward. Uh, because of the way UNM has handled very, you know, high-profile sexual assault cases, students don't feel supported. Students don't feel like they can come forward and talk about the sexual assault they are experiencing. So we said, okay, let's try and do some prevention and talk about how to avoid situations where you might sexually assault somebody and not know it. You know, so so we we, we took a very multifaceted approach, and um, the university was not having any of it, and they issued a public apology, and then and then it got very unfortunate for the women's resource center. A lot of pressure was put on them. It was really incredibly unfair. Um, the way that they were treated in this, and um, it was it was just really hard because self serve was very strong in all of this, and we're, we're lucky that we don't rely on the university for any sort of funding or anything like that. You know, so we were able to speak out against it and um, really talk about how it's so messed up that a university that is being investigated for mis- mishandling allegations of sexual assault is not incur- is is p- apologizing for an event that offers information about how how not to rape people basically, you know, and we, we offered a lot of other, a lot of other events as well, but it was specifically focused around preventing sexual assault, you know? And so to have the university come back and apologize for our efforts was embarrassing. And it also was like, Oh, Hmm, there's the problem. You know, like for me, it was a very obvious moment of like, what's the problem here? Oh, right. You know, the, the university administration isn't even willing to, you know, do something courageous and say, you know what, maybe the content like they didn't even come to any of the presentations. Right. And yet we're making apologies for them.
1: There and I was, think
2: it was it was just it was totally bonkers.
1: I think one thing that really struck that really struck a chord for me was the amount of complaints that that happened towards the administration. I think I think we heard there were like 16 parents potentially. And I'm like, who called them said they were a parent, you know? Yeah. But like sixteen parents complained about this and they felt the need to uh to to um create to like publicly apologize and uh, self-serve because we weren't connected with the university. We were able to uh, create a petition with the, you know, called like in defense of sex week. And we had over 1500 people sign it within 24 hours, Mm -hmm. you know? So, so there was this huge amount of public support for the work that sex week was doing. And, and no response at all from the administration except for that apology and i think that that says a lot about you know the university being in discord with the community and it, i'm so excited that self serve exists because you know, a lot of people had a lot on the line in terms of funding and their jobs and what they could and couldn't say. And so we were able to, you know, be the voice in the community that said like, hey, this is actually a problem. Um, and, and, you know, and we were able to like let that community of people who were really, they were putting their jobs on the line, you know, um, to bring this, this information to students. And, and we were able to offer them support at a time when they were really, um, across the board feeling like they couldn't get it right, you know? Um, and this challenge that UNM had with sex week uh, is not an independent incident, you know, no. it's not an isolated incident. There, there's this thing that is happening across the nation. And, and I'm very interested to see how it shapes up in the next four years, you know, um, but there's this move to create adult lessons to say that, People who are 18 plus years old in an academic institution of learning. Uh, should not have access to information about sexuality. And this has happened at, I think, almost every school that's done a sex week. Mm-hmm. There's been a major problem with that. And there was just um, some major censure of a woman who, uh, in Southern California, named Olga Cox, who is a human sexuality teacher. She'd be fascinated to have on your show. Um, but she, right after the election, said some things in support of her students who were queer in a very conservative part of the country. And, and, you know, she's literally had death threats as a result of her trying to stand up for like the safety and security of her student sexuality, you know? So there's this move that is happening around sexuality that, that not only are we not giving pleasure based, you know, medically accurate education to teenagers, Mm -hmm. we're now not even allowed to give it to adults. And what, what's happening that's really concerning to me is if they are allowed to do it, it's almost certainly not funded, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so what's happening, you know, Hunter and I teach for free all the time. Um, and that's, and that's, you know, okay. You know, we, we, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there are people who are like, don't teach for free. And we're like, well, it's complicated, you know, because, yeah. because, you know, and we also, we have, we have a business model that, uh, community engagement is a powerful way to bring people into our stores. So in yeah. some ways, like we can monetize that in a long-term level. Um, but over and over again, um, within the university systems, you know, You know, the the work that used to be paid for is no longer being paid for. And that, you know, for a lot of sex educators, it's it's harder and harder to get a paid gig, you know, and I think that's of merit. I think that's relevant that if they cut off our funding sources, how can any of us afford to do what we're doing?
0: Yeah, it's really sad. I was um I was brought on to the George Mason University campus mm-hmm. uh last year and I was invited to speak on a radio program that two female students ran called Dictation and um we had a very frank hour-long conversation about sex. We talked about like why people are into anal sex and we talked about those weird feelings you get after you go to a party and you drink a lot and you have sex with someone, you're not quite sure if you were okay with it. And so we got into these these nuanced conversations about consent and about safer sex and and STIs and making good choices for yourself. And so it was three of us women on the air. And um, afterwards, the station manager, who, of course, is a cis male, freaked out mm-hmm. that we had had these conversations about like consent and pleasure and sex. And um, wanted to force them to to do an apology and was Mm -hmm. bullying them out of the radio station. And the student paper picked it up. And um, the student paper was actually forced to rescind the article. And uh, the two women ended up having to leave the radio station because of the bullying. And it just really frustrated me that even in a pretty... You know, I mean, George Mason is in Northern Virginia, but it's it's also, like, just outside Washington, D.C. So to me, when you think, like of the, the landscape of the United States of America and where universities are like, that's a pretty liberal place to go to school. Mm -hmm. And for even on a campus like that, for an open sexual dialogue to be so vilified and to lead to this kind of action, like it's just really disappointing as a sex educator to run into that like over and over and over again.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean that that's, and, and it's this, this, moment that we're in where where literally these conversations about consent and pleasure and finding your yes and finding your no are are finally starting to be interconnected you know where it's not the message of don't get raped but it's but it's a message of of this is actually a really big deal and it's very nuanced and we should all figure out what we want and what we don't want and how to communicate about it and how to get there and that concept is one that, that literally we are, we are being censored and people are being threatened around. Um, and, and that's rape culture, you know, Mm -hmm. that, I mean, there's, there's no problem with, you know, nuance with, with, um, let's see, how do I put this? Um, there's an awareness that people in college have sex, you know, but, but try to like actually talk about it in a, in a way that holds compassion and concern for people's experiences mm-hmm. and, and, and we're vilified, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I just think that that just reinforces rape culture over and oh, over yeah. again. And, and it would just would be so nice if there would be a like administrators would actually like stand up for students mm-hmm. in this moment, you know, as opposed to fighting back, uh, yeah. you know, and, and I think, you know, Hunter's been working on sex week for the last several years and the overwhelmingly the response is positive mm-hmm. and yet every year it's steeped in controversy as though, uh, you know, a handful of people saying people shouldn't have access to this information should be the lead on the story. Right. Right. You know?
0: Um, so maybe and Hunter, I would love it if you could share with our listeners how they can stay in touch with you and learn more about self-serve.
1: Yes. Um, go for it, Matey. Okay. Uh, for me, uh, I'm, I'm pretty active on self-serve social media. Um, and I'm maybe at self dot toys.com. If you want to shoot me an email, um, I, I don't really do a whole lot of, a whole lot of Twitter, but I have been doing some uh, Facebook live videos um, that are public and they're really about the challenges of running a sex store right now in this unique time. So if you're interested in that, uh, check out my Facebook live videos. Um, they're also like deeply vulnerable and they talk about my feelings and maybe cry in bathtubs sometimes. So they're <laughs> a good time. They're a real good time.
2: <laughs> yes. And um, you can find me, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Hunter O Riley. That's H U N T E R O R I L E Y. Uh, My Facebook page is very public and you can find me and, you know, send me a friend request. I kind of accept most friend requests, but if you're mean and shitty, I'll block you. Um, But uh, (laughs) most people aren't, but I do have to say that because occasionally I'm like, what are you doing on here? Why are you like this? Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it's just Hunter Riley on Facebook. Um, And then I also do have a website. um, It's Hunter Riley sex com, So you can find me there.
1: Awesome! Ooh, can well, we I do a, a shameless plug? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we have a website. Plug. Yeah, a shameless, very large butt plug. <laughs> um, it's beautiful and. I'm wearing it right now. Um, but uh, but uh, selfservechoice.com is our website. We've just recently completely redone our website. We're very proud of it. Um, you can shop on your phone. Uh, we will maybe uh, create a coupon code for folks um, uh, to to shop with us. But you know, we're real people. You can call us. We're there seven days a week. We're happy to help. And uh, we'd we'd love we'd love to like start a relationship with y'all.
0: Yay. Mm -hmm. Well, I will have links to self-serve and to your classes and to the blog post that you mentioned, Hunter, and to all of your social media so people can find you nice and easy. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for being on the show. And to everyone who listened this week, thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any questions about anything that you heard today, or if you have questions for a future show, just go to sexgetsreal.com. There's a contact form there. Also, don't forget listener confessions. You can go to sexgetsreal.com and get the guidelines for how to submit your own confession. And until next week, this is Dawn Sarah. Bye.